0: Can't believe we're stuck at the kids' table again. I know. I thought this was going to be our year. I'm 34 years old, okay? I'm a grown man. I shouldn't have to sit at the kids' table. No offense. No offense. You know what? Let's not let it get to us. It's Thanksgiving. We're thankful. Right? For what? Well, uh, I'm thankful that I'm getting to learn a lot about the second grade from my new friend Kyle here. That's it? That's what you're thankful for? Yeah, and I'm also thankful that Grandma made this delicious food for us? Well, I'm allergic to everything on this plate except for the corn. Well, I'm thankful that even though you're my brother, I did not develop any of your allergies. Well. Okay, well, even though I'm allergic to everything, at least God blessed me and made me very, very, very good-looking. Alright, well, you should also thank God for giving you such an act of imagination because everybody knows that I'm the one with the good looks. You think you're the good-looking one? Yeah. You're the one with the good looks. That's funny. I am. Compared to this. Okay, you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for Jesus. Okay? Top that. Top that. How the to top that? That's a gimme. Everyone's thankful for Jesus. Even Kyle could think of that. Try to outthink a second grader. Hey. No offense. Okay. Okay. I'm thankful that I didn't get hit by that car this morning. Hmm. And, uh, I'm thankful That I didn't hit you with my car this morning. That was you? I'm sorry. I I was rocking out to my, wow, that's what I call worship CDs, and I didn't see you. I'm sorry. Let me guess. El Shaddai? Is that what you were rocking out to? Little El Shaddai? Couldn't get enough of that? You know what? I'm done talking to you. Good. Now that I can be thankful for.
1: Sitting at the kids' table. Anybody ever had to do that? Some of you did it this weekend, yeah. Um, I actually made it through Thanksgiving without eating turkey, and I consider that just like a major accomplishment. Um, My 10 year old wanted fried chicken legs for our Thanksgiving meal, and so that's what we had on Thursday, and then we had ham yesterday, so that was a good thing. I just wasn't in the mood for turkey, if you like turkey, you know, no emails, no, that's, that's you, me. Uh, how many of you feel like you are ordinary? I'm just giving you lots of time to think about it. Um, ordinary? How many of you think you're extraordinary? Wow, these are the secure people in the room. Okay, now... The uh, the title today is is what God can do through ordinary you, uh, and and we're going to look at the life of Moses. You've probably heard about Moses, Big Mo. He's like the biggest dude in the Old Testament. He wrote the first five books of of the Old Testament. I said New Testament, Old Testament. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. He uh, is the one who led the children of Israel out of Egypt uh, into the promised land. You know, he did the Ten Commandments, which has absolutely nothing. Uh, to do with the movie you've seen on TV. There are so many holes in that. I remember my brother sitting around when I was younger when that came out and, and they had their Bibles and they're going, that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong. And there's really so much bad stuff in, in the, uh, uh, the Ten Commandments movie, you know, that's not scriptural. But anyway, Moses is the dude, you know, Charlton Heston holds up his arms and parts the Red Sea and they go through and all the Egyptians, they die. And I mean, this dude had it going on. He's the one that, that, um, uh, tap the rock and water came out, you know, because you got a million people, that, a million guys, not counting the women and, and children that you have to go through the desert with. That's a big deal. and uh, God just used him in an amazing way. But, but we're going to look at his life, and we're going to find out that, that when he thought he had it going on, he really didn't. And God had to bring him back down to where he realized he was ordinary, and that's when God started using him. So today we're going to look at some principles from, from Moses' life, and if you want to be effective, if you want to live an effective life where we get to the end of your life, and not only your immediate family, but other people said, that's a life well lived. They they uh, they invested their lives in other people, and they did great things, and their legacy is going to live on after them. You too can can live that type of life, but you got to realize God only uses ordinary people. Alright, so let's dig in and let's look at some things. The first secret that, that Moses figured out, it took him a while uh, to figure it out. The first secret was be yourself. Alright, be yourself. Now, <laughs> this is contrary to everything you see on the newsstands. It's contrary to everything you see on commercials, on TV, because they're trying to tell you that you're, uh, you need to be like these people on TV, what, what we need to learn is the Bible says that you are to be yourself. God created you like you are for a reason. Um, I don't understand exactly why God created me the way he did. There are some things I, I like about myself. There's a lot of things I don't necessarily care for. But God created me this way, and so I'm supposed to go to God and say, God, here I am, use me, faults and all. And I've found out the more faults that, that I confess and I just admit to, the more other people can identify with me, and, and we begin to grow together as we look at God's Word, and we say, how can God use somebody like me in spite of all of my faults? Well, God used Moses in spite of, of his faults. Let's, let's think about his life just a little bit. Um, Moses came to a point where he had an identity crisis, and, and he had a reason for that. Because if you remember the whole deal... In Egypt, Jewish boys were supposed to be destroyed. When they were born, they were supposed to be killed because the, the Israelites were growing too large. And the, and the Pharaoh, the king, said, you know, if we're not careful here, these slaves, these, uh, these Israelites are going to grow too large for us and they will be able to overpower us. There's probably 2 to 3 million total population living right in the middle of the Egyptians and they were the slaves. And so Pharaoh said, I know what we'll do to control the population. We'll kill all the baby boys. So if you were to stand up and say, you know, I'm Jewish and here's my son, that son would be killed um, to control the population. The, the women, they could be married uh, to, to Egyptian men. That was something they considered different. But um, Pharaoh decided that he was going to wipe these guys out. Well, Moses' parents saw that he was special. And so they hid him in a little what? What did they hide him in? Basket, a little boat, had him float down in the Nile River. And Pharaoh's um, daughter happened to be taking a bath. And she hears him cry. She goes and gets the baby, has pity on him, takes him into the royal palace. So Moses has this identity crisis. He was born Jewish, but he was raised Egyptian. And he had to decide at some point, who am I going to be? Am I going to be this fake Egyptian or am I going to be this fake Jewish person? What am I going to do? And this was a really important question because if he said, I'm an Egyptian, and he faked his heritage, he would live this life of ease, but knowing in his mind that God created him for something else. If he said he was Jewish, he'd be kicked out of Pharaoh's house and he would live this life of poverty, he would be rejected, he would be uh, among the slaves. And so he had this big deal that he had to come up with figuring out who he was. But Moses, the Bible tells us, looks out and sees the Jewish people being treated badly. And he decides that he can no longer keep his identity a secret and he begins to to, uh, identify with them. He was a man of character and integrity. So he said, I'm going to be Jewish and it cost him the next 80 years of his life. Because when he tried to take things in his own hand, um, he killed an Egyptian. He had to run away from Pharaoh because he would have been killed. He spent 40 years herding sheep. Now, to understand this, he went from the, the best place you could possibly be in, in Pharaoh's house to herding sheep. That's, that's like dirty jobs guy. Micro, you know, you go from the best job possible to cleaning around sewage lines. That's kind of in their mindset. That's what being a shepherd was. He goes out and spends 40 years being a shepherd before God comes to him in the burning bush and says, I want you to go and I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. So this was a huge deal. He said, I'm going to be who God made me to be. And if you have your Bibles, uh, follow along in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at several verses. Uh, pertaining to Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. If you know anything about the Bible, it's in the New Testament. It's just a few books before you get all the way to the end. And Hebrews chapter 11 is, is what we call the, the hall of fame of faith. Because it just talks about all these great people who had great faith. And the reason that they're great, the reason they're recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, is because their belief in God was great. They weren't great, their God was great. And they believed in Him, and so that God did miraculous things through them. And their names were put down here for us to, to read. So if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, is where we're going to pick up Moses. It says, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be treated as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, on your listening guide, if you would circle one word in that, in that uh, verse, it's refused. He refused. The, the Greek word literally means to reject Deny, totally disown. So he totally disowned his heritage. Um, now, I was watching TV this week, and I was watching the Cowboys the other day. And actually, I was watching on Wednesday. They were getting ready for the halftime show, and so uh, Kelly Clarkson was on. So my girls come running in, you know, because we watched the first American Idol, and we rooted for Kelly. And uh, we got Kelly's first CD, and my girls sing along to that. Since you've been gone, I mean, they just get after it. So they come running in to to see Kelly. And they're talking about this whole um, halftime show. It's going to be this extravaganza. And then they showed these little girls about my girl's age. And they said, these girls, I don't know if you saw the halftime show, but if you think of the the main stage is like this, there's a big area here and then it comes down in a triangle at at the middle of the field. Well, inside the triangle, there's a runway here. There's a runway back here and down here. So there's two little holes. Did y'all see that? Any of y'all see that? The holes were filled with a bunch of screaming, maniacal little girls. And I was saying to my girls, I bet y'all would like to be in that hole screaming, because all they had to do, their whole practice just consisted of going, ah, I mean, they're just waving and screaming. Well, it comes, come to find out, the people that are in there are the grandchildren of Jerry Jones. Oh. <laughs> now, that's a place of privilege, right? You don't get to go into those little holes and scream for Kelly Clarkson unless you are somehow blood relative of Jerry Jones, and Jerry Jones is pretty well known, right? That would be kind of cool to to be related to Jerry Jones because you get to go to Cowboys games and the new stadium that's going to be the monstrosity with the biggest HD TVs in the world, not one but two of the biggest HD TVs in the world. It'd be cool, but but here when when Moses refused to be known as the the son of Pharaoh's daughter, it would be just it would make just as much sense to you standing in line if you're related to Jerry Jones. And you get to the ticket counter and they say, Oh, Miss Jones, Mr. Jones, come on in, come on in. And you go, no, nah, no, nah, I think I'll hang out with the peasants. I think I'll go listen on the radio. I don't want to go to the luxury suite and have the buffet and have people waiting on me. I, I just reject all of that and I'll go listen on my, on my AM radio with all its static. Doesn't make sense, does it? Neither does it make sense from a worldly perspective for Moses to say... I'm not going to be known as Pharaoh's son. I'm going to be a Jew. That's a big-time decision that he, that he made. Um, being, being Jerry Jones' relative anytime. if you are the relative of Pharaoh, that's a lot better than Jerry Jones. But Moses refused. He cut himself off from this promising career, from this life of ease, and instead he wanted to do what God made him to do. Now, if you want to live an effective life, step one is you have to relax and be yourself. Do not compare yourself to others. Do not judge yourself to others. Be who God made you to be. Now, a little caution here. God didn't make you to be a jerk. Okay? That's a choice. People all the time say, I just can't help it. Yes, you can. There are certain personality things, but there are therapists. There are highly trained individuals to help you deal with stuff. There's celebrate recovery. There's small groups. There's there's places where you can go and you can learn to be more Christ-like. That that is possible. Now, personality things. There are certain personality things that that you can't <laughs> you can't overcome, but but there are just certain jerk things you can't. Okay, verse twenty-five. Here's the next step. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. All right? I want you to circle one word here. Circle the word chose. Now, you understand what that means. It means to select or to decide. What did he decide? Well, here's what he decided. This is point two on your listening guide. He decided to accept responsibility for his own life. And if you want to live an effective life, that's what you're going to have to do. Be yourself. God created you to do something incredible in this world. But you've got to accept responsibility for who you are. Don't blame somebody else for your life. The number one thing that I hear in, in our country, you hear it all the time too, I hear it not just from children. This is the, the crazy thing. It drives me nuts when my kids say, it's not my fault. I stand there and watch them whack their other sibling with something, knock their head completely off. It's rolling around the floor. It's not my fault! I'm like, what in the world? I'm going to beat you until you say it is your fault. I watched you. Uh, but when, when adults do it, it's even worse. So you've got to decide to do something about it. The fact is, I have choices in life, so do you. And the choices that I make today determine where I am tomorrow. My choices determine my destiny. Your choices determine your destiny. 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 Um, the Bible says that people who accept responsibility will live effective lives. Now, in verse 24, we saw Moses refusing. He refused to be identified with them. In verse 25, we see Moses choosing. There's a principle here. The negative is always followed by the positive. When people get derailed from Christianity, they think it's this group of rules. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't smoke, chew, cuss, or go out with girls that do. Well... Christianity is not about do's and don'ts. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what what happens is when I make a choice that I'm going to follow Christ, when I'm going to accept responsibility for my life, the negative is always followed by a positive. When I choose to follow God, He's replacing something negative in my life. Does that make sense? When God says no to you, it's always a positive answer. There was this big campaign when I was a teenager called, "No, the Positive Answer. And I thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. They were talking about sexual purity. Staying completely pure um, and, and saving yourself for marriage sexually. And the reason God tells you no is two positive reasons. Every time God tells you no, it's two positive reasons. We've written this down before. He wants to protect you. He protects you from all kinds of stuff. And if you've been in one of those relationships that was not godly, you understand. You've gone through it and you say, oh. If I had only done it God's way, He would have protected me from all of this junk in my background. But He also wants to provide for you. He wants to provide a new relationship. When you do get married, there's going to be trust and there's going to be all of this incredible stuff. So if you've been through that, you've done it that, a way that wasn't God's way, that didn't honor God, you're going to be saying, Oh, man, I can tell you, do not do it your way. And we do it all the time. We all make choices. And, and that's why there's so much junk in our past. Christianity is not a negative religion, a bunch of don'ts. It's it's these things that God protects you and provides for you as you make choices to put His stuff in your life and not the world's stuff. Now, if you go back to verse 23, you'll see that uh, it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months. They saw that God had given them an unusual child and they were not afraid of what the king might do. Now, God chose Moses when he was a baby. Now, there came a time when Moses was going to have to choose God. And, and we're going to see that in, in just a minute. In verse 24, it tells us, when did Moses make the choice? If you're, if you're following along there on your listening guide, when did he make the choice to follow God? When he had done what? He refused. He refused he when he grew up. Ah, oh. A sign of maturity is when you say, I am responsible for where I am in life. I can't blame my parents anymore. Mom painted my, my nursery fuchsia, and that's why I'm a jerk today. When Mom bathed me, she got water up my nose, and my nasal passages has never been the same. I mean, come on! We have all kinds of creative ways to blame other people. There came a point in my life where I, I had to say, my parents did the best they could. We have a great relationship today. We didn't always. I was a jerk. I thought they were jerks. It was pretty mutual, and we had a horrible relationship until I went off to college, and then all of a sudden they started getting smarter. My IQ didn't go up. Theirs did when I went off to college. So you have to accept responsibility and say, you know, okay, maybe my parents messed up. Maybe they made bad choices that affected me, but I can either drag around that baggage for the rest of my life or I can say, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to focus on what's ahead of me. I'm going to accept responsibility for where I go from here. Maybe I messed up to this point, but no matter how bad you've messed up, God says He will take you from this point and work this incredible thing in your life for your future. God says, I have a future and a hope for you. Not to give you calamity, not to mess up your life. My future will cause you to be effective and to leave a legacy that affects others. Nobody can ruin your life except you. Satan doesn't have enough power to ruin your life. God has the power, but He loves you too much to ruin your life. So ultimately, the only one that can uh, continually ruin your life is you. The choices that you make. If you want to be uh, effective, then you're going to have to accept responsibility, and you're going to have to be yourself, and you're going to have to make some choices now that six months down the road, a year down the road, you'll see the difference. Your happiness will be determined by the character in your life. Your character is determined by the choices you make. The first choice is to be yourself. The second choice is to accept responsibility for your own condition. Because here's the bottom line. You have to decide, are you going to be bitter because of what happened to your past, or are you going to be better? The folks that that are better are those who learn from the past and move on. Accept the past and move on. Now, here's a third thing. After you um, be yourself and after you accept responsibility, then you've got to establish your value system. You have to settle the issue, what is really important? And this is not something that you just kind of flippantly decide uh, in your spare time. You've got to give it serious thought. And this is what Moses did. And here's his value system listed in verse 26. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of the Messiah than own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to the great reward that God would give him. Now, if you think about it, there there are some things that people tell you that are important in this world. And, And it's interesting that Moses rejected all three of these things in this passage here. People will tell you that power or status is important, right? Folks are grabbing for power. They're grabbing for status all the time. People will tell you that pleasure is important, That's the whole purpose of of alcohol and drugs, and and actually that's the whole purpose of extreme sports, you know, to get that high and, you know, to sell you the the latest equipment so that you can go faster and higher and do all of that stuff, and when that uh, gets a little ding on it, then you got to go buy more. I mean, that's the whole, uh, our whole society, our economic society drives us to buy more, to, to be discontent with what we've had in the past. So power and pleasure, and then the last thing is treasure, So we want to accumulate all of these things. So in verse 24, we see him rejecting power, the world's measure. Moses said, I'm not going to be identified with with, uh, Pharaoh's daughter. I'm not going to let people call me that. In verse 25, we see him rejecting the world's pleasure. He refused to hold on to the pleasures of sin. The Bible says sin is fun for a while. If it wasn't fun, you'd never be tempted to do it. It's fun for a while, but then it drags you down. And in verse 25, we see him rejecting the world's treasure. The very things that people spend their lives trying to get, Moses rejected. That's because he had this value system. And he said, God's will is of greater importance than the treasures of Egypt. Now, why am I spending time on this? Well, I've discovered that if you don't determine what's valuable in life, other people will do it for you. If you don't decide how you're going to use your time, somebody will tell you how to use your time, right? Whether it's your boss or your boss who's your spouse or whether it's someone in your family, they'll tell you how to use your time. If you don't decide how you're going to use your money, someone will tell you how to do that, right? I mean, all I have to do is say April 15th. Somebody's telling you what to do with your money on April 15th, right? Right? Um, or you get your paycheck and it's automatically deducted, somebody's telling you what to do with your money. If you don't make up your own mind, somebody's going to do it for you. And let's just consider this holiday season that we're in. Joy to the world. It's the most wonderful time of the year. How come then so many people don't like the holidays? Could it be that, that somebody else is telling them how they got to spend their time? Now, you got to be careful Because if they're in here, I give you permission not to answer. Did any of you spend time (laughs) with people that you didn't want to spend time with this holiday season? A couple of you. And I won't say it on the microphone so it won't be recorded for all eternity. Um, (laughs) No, that's all right. Does anyone have expectations of where you should be over the holiday seasons? And if you're not there, will you suffer the wrath of those people? You may be written out of the will. You may not get a present. Um, or you may just have to hear it until Jesus comes, right? So somebody's going to tell you in the holiday season how to spend your time. Will you buy presents for anybody this Christmas season that you really don't want to buy presents for? Let me see your Come on, come on. Tell the truth, tell the truth. I'm hoping not. (laughs) Why do we get in trouble Christmas? Why do our finances get jacked up at Christmas? Because people have expectations and we're trying to meet those expectations whether it fits into our margin or not. Several weeks ago in our marriage series, we said when you get stressed in your life is when you have no margin, nothing left over uh, time-wise and nothing left over financially. Anybody get stressed at Christmas time because you don't have enough margin financially? Yes! What are we doing? We're letting other people establish our values for us. We're letting other people tell us where we're going to spend our time and how much money we're going to spend. And I just have this this idea that... that, Well, let me just ask. How many of you have extra money laying around December 31st? You just got a pile of cash that you come in and you pile on the the kitchen table and you say, Honey, what are we going to do with all of this? Anyone? Anyone? No. No. It's because other people are making our decisions. And when we get our credit card bill, does the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus when you get your December credit card bill? Or actually January, you know, because that cycle. No! Other people are telling us what to do. And um, here's what I think happens. I just got to be totally honest with you. In every church I've been in, I've been a, a minister... For twenty-four years now, I have to do the math. I was a youth minister for nineteen years, been a pastor for five years, and every church prior to this one, December has been our biggest giving month of the year, because there's a lot of folks there that that have money and they, you know, they, they're going to have to pay taxes if they don't give to the church, because our government is a good government and it says if you save enough, you know, if you put something in your in your IRA, then you don't have to pay as much taxes, and if you give to a charitable organization, you don't have to do as much taxes. So every church I've ever been in, except this one, December has been this huge giving month. I mean, we can be behind budget for 11 months, and then all of a sudden, wham! And we don't know what to do. We try to hoard it so that we can make the next 11 months. You know, This church is totally opposite. For 11 months of the year, you folks give like crazy. And then in December, I just think that that we're going... Oh, I can't do it all. And so the church is where we neglect. And I'm not trying to put guilt on you. That's, I, don't, I don't even care if you give. I'm just saying, though, our value systems are jacked up because we let someone else tell us what we're supposed to do, and we know we're supposed to pay the church. We're supposed to give a tithe to the church if we're a church member, if we're a follower of Christ. But it comes to that time, and there's nothing there. You can't give 10% of nothing. I guess you can, but that's nothing. Write a check for zero. At least, you know, the intention's there. (laughs) Stick it back there. Maybe God will give you credit for that. I don't know. At least there will be a record that you tried to give something. Um... (laughs) Now, let let me qualify that and say, our church every year we do something like the angel tree. And we have given gifts, and in the past we've given clothes, and we've given food. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, indicate that that we're uh, Scrooges when it comes to Christmas. No, not not at all. We we're gonna. I think we're gonna give toys to about a hundred kids this year. And I've been there when at Northside Elementary School when we do this, and parents will look at you and think you're insane, and they'll say, "Why are you doing this?" Because God's blessed us. We just want to bless you. We've gotten, through the years, we've gotten thank you notes. Through the years, we've even gotten checks in the mail. There was a guy uh, last year that four months later when he got back on his feet financially, he sent a check for 100 bucks to our church to say thank you because we provided Christmas that he couldn't provide for his kids. So I'm not saying that we're not giving people. I'm just saying that we give out everywhere else with no plan and then when it comes to the church, we're like, sorry God, got to stiff you. So maybe... In the new year, we should go to a different plan. The best plan Janie and I ever came up with was we decided how much money we were going to spend on each kid. And then we started saving before. First year we did it, we got started kind of late. And we were working at the party station. We were doing everything we could, and every stinking dime went into the... I I called it the Christmas tax. I'm like, when do we finish with the Christmas tax? Well, this year we started earlier. Christmas tax was finished months ago. And I'm like, that's just so smart. We didn't give to each other for several years because we had no financial margin. And we just, I said, baby, I'd rather not have anything than try to put it on a credit card. Last year, I actually had the money, but I bought her a present that she'd been wanting. It was a coffee pot. I bought her a coffee pot, but I put it on credit card, and then I was going to pay the credit card back. And she said, I would rather never get a gift than you have to put it on a credit card. Well, this year, because we just made some decisions 12 months ago, we're in a different place. I got a present this year. She said, do you want a present? And I went, yeah, it's been about five years. I'd, I'd like one. I got a present. I already know what it is, but I don't care. I like it. She had not let me see it, but I know what it is. So all I'm saying is we got to come up with a plan, and the sooner you start on your plan, the better you're going to be. Because we act as if our washer and our dryer and our refrigerator and our dishwasher and our disposal and our garage door opener... We act as if those things will live forever. We hope it. Because if we've had a plan, if you just started, when you buy a new refrigerator, if you just started a fund of five bucks a month, by the time that sucker runs out, guess what's sitting there? Enough to buy a new one. We just got to come up with a different plan. So establish a value system. And I want you to see what, um, what Moses did, how he established this. Jesus said no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one or serve the other. You have to decide what's going to be important. Are you going to serve your relatives? Are you going to serve other people? Are you going to serve your boss? Now, you know, within reason, I understand that because you've got to be a good employee. The Bible says to do that. But we've got to establish our own value system because uh, if we say, if we learn to say no to other folks so that we can focus on our value system, we're going to be effective in life. Moses gave up the three things that people want, power, pleasure, and treasure. He gave up those things. And how did he do it? Verse 26, if you look at the last part of it, it says, because he was looking ahead to his reward. All right, I want you to circle those two words, looking ahead. This is the next key in Moses' life. He was looking. Where was Moses looking? Ahead. ahead. Ah, there's the key. He wasn't sitting there looking at his past going, oh, I really wish I hadn't made those choices. Woe is me. I hate my life. You do that, everybody else will hate your life too. Your attitude stinks and nobody wants to be around that. So he was looking ahead, but he was looking at something too. And that's, that's what we've got to see. I, I want you to catch this and then we'll, we'll get into this whole spiritual vision thing. A statement that I want you to catch. Your happiness is determined by your character. Drew, you got this back there? Your happiness is determined by your character. Your character is determined by your choices. Your choices are determined by your values. And your values are determined by your vision. What you're looking at. Your values are determined by what you're looking at. What are you looking at? Are you looking at power status? Pleasure, treasure, are those the things you value? Then your life will reflect that. And your kids and everybody around you will know that's what your values are. And I don't think that's really what you want to pass on. I think you want to pass on something that's better than that. Moses had the right values because he had the right vision. And that brings us to the fourth point, the fourth secret. Keep your eyes on the goal. The Bible says that Moses was looking ahead beyond the here and now. And throughout his life, he kept on looking. He was a man of vision. How did he, how did he keep looking ahead? Well, Hebrews eleven twenty seven 27 says, It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt. He was not afraid of the king. Moses kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Vision is a matter of faith. Seeing is a matter of faith. Moses was seeing what was ahead. It says he was looking to a different reward, a reward that's in heaven. So I want you to circle this big phrase for me in verse 27. Kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. Who's that? God. Now, here's the incredible thing. In the Old Testament, um, people didn't see visions of Jesus because He didn't come yet. He came in the New Testament. That's what separates the Old Testament from from, um, the New Testament. Now, Jesus existed, and I believe Moses saw ahead to when Jesus was going to be here on the earth. He kept his eyes on the one who that God was going to send to save the world. He who is invisible. He never took his eyes off the goal. And so if you want to have an effective life, you're going to have to do that too. Because here's the deal. You will never make progress without problems. I want you to say that out loud. I'll give you one more chance. Just listen. Say, I will never make progress without problems. Ready? I will never make progress without problems. One more time. I will never make progress without problems. If you've read the Old Testament, you know that leading a million men, besides women and children, around the desert could cause problems. What's the biggest problem you think they would face as they're wandering around? If you've been camping, imagine going camping with a million dudes and their wives and their children. What's the number one thing you're going to have a problem with? Toilet. Okay, there you go. Food. And water. People grumbled against Moses all the time. And Moses, what he would do, instead of saying, these terrible people you gave me, he'd go to God and he'd say, God, you called me to do this. You got a problem. Your people are hungry. And what would God do? I didn't know that, Moses. (laughs) I hadn't considered that these people were going to need food and actually, clothing, that was another thing. Do you know their clothes didn't wear out for 40 years? The Bible says their sandals didn't wear out. My daddy's still wearing his shoes from World War II, but nobody else I know is. And they're worn out. They didn't last. Um, God knew there were going to be problems, and, and so he, he uses those problems to grow you up. Now, if you're discouraged today... I want you to think about Moses because he focused on the goal, not his problems. And if you have problems today, then you need this next verse that I'm going to share with you. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul, this, this is incredible. Paul is talking about some enormous problems that he had gone through. But he doesn't even call them enormous problems. If you've got like an NIV or a New American Standard, he says these light and momentary afflictions. Um, in In this one it says our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Now, I want you to get this before we read the verse. You've got to understand what he's calling light and momentary afflictions or our little bitty problems that won't last very long. Here's what Paul was talking about. He was beaten three times nearly to death because he followed Jesus Christ. Light and momentary problem. He received 40 lashes. Now, that was what they gave you, uh, 40 lashes, five times. Now, this was with a, with a cane or with a whip. Forty lashes, five times. That does not count the times he was beaten nearly to death. Okay, you with me? Light and momentary problems. He was sick and in prison. Thought he was going to die. He was, he was saying, here I come, Jesus, here I come. And then he got well. I mean, that's how sick he was. Uh, he was without food. He was without clothes. Oftentimes left totally alone. He was shipwrecked a couple of times. And one time he spent a night and a day in the deep. I don't know if you saw that cruise ship that was in Antarctica that hit the ice. And they got all the people off and I was listening this morning to one of the survivors and, he, and this, was the, this was a small cruise ship and it had the open um, lifeboats that you, you, know, you row and I don't know if it had motors on it or whatever, but I just was thinking, when I've been on cruises, they have the big... Lifeboats that are enclosed, has heat, has has snacks, you know, has water, has crackers, and has heat and air conditioning and all that stuff, and it's weatherproof. And actually those things, if they tump over, they are made where they will right themselves. I'm like, that's a lifeboat. These people are in Antarctica right there, big old you know, glaciers, big old um, ice chunks all over them. Icebergs everywhere. And they're in these little dinghies. <laughs> and the guy said, we were in there for four to five hours. And, and so the reporter asked a brilliant question. He said, were you cold? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, he said that when they hit the ice, that the water came in and, to his room. And he was able to get a, a jacket and some pants. <laughs> no hat and no gloves. And he said, I honestly thought I was going to lose my toes, if not my feet. I was so cold. And I was sick because we were hanging out in this water, bouncing up and down. And it's black water. When it's that cold, you could last maybe 30 seconds in that water, maybe two minutes if you have on a safety um, clothing. He said, I thought I was going to lose my toes. And then when he got warm, he said, oh, we were so grateful for that. Now you think about Paul. Back before there were lifeboats like this, Paul is in the water having just survived a hurricane and he's floating around for a night and a day. And he goes, oh, that's light and momentary. What? How bad are your problems compared to that? And, and then I want you to see, here's, here's the verses. Paul says, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. They're temporary, they're light, they're momentary afflictions. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. Paul says that God's purposes for your life are always bigger than the problems you're going to face. And God teaches us to rely on Him through problems. When I go through really good times, I tend, who do I tend to pat on the back? Me. Woo, look how good I am. When I'm going through bad stuff, I have no um, ideas that I'm the one who gets me through it. None. There are no illusions. I say, that had to be God. It has to be God. And God teaches us through problems. And in, then in verse 18, it says, So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward so that we, to what we have not seen yet. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. The unseen always outlasts the seen. All right, y'all see this little platform here in this pulpit? Is that real? Hello? Yes. That's not a trick question. Is this real? Yes. yes. Is God real? Yes. Which one is going to last longer? God. The unseen always outlasts the seen. But we get caught up on the scene. And, and we get caught up on how big our problem is. And anytime you start telling me how big your problem is, my question is going to be, how big is your God? Hannah came in this morning and crawled my lap. I get up early on Sundays and I study and she heard some noises. And she was scared. She said, baby, it's probably me. Can I snuggle with you, Daddy? Yeah, she crawls up and snuggles even if her heartbeat is going fast, two or three minutes, I'm going back to bed, Dad. I said, you want me to carry you? <laughs> so I carry her back to bed, and she goes back to sleep. The reason she was no longer scared is because she saw her daddy. And in her little seven-year-old mind, that makes everything all right. It doesn't, care, it doesn't matter how big the noises are. The problem we have when, whenever we're discouraged, whenever we are... Um, overwhelmed is we've started looking at our problems and we lost sight of our God. So it's a matter of perspective. Where are you looking today? Your vision will determine how you respond to a problem. Every time I see God, my problems shrink. Every time I take my eyes off of God and look at my problem, my problem grows. So if your problems are too big today, change what you're looking at. Now, I want to ask you a question. You've all got um, registration cards. If you would fill those out for me, we have two baskets at the back. One of them is our joy basket. Woo! And uh, y'all.